You go in, find the president, bring him out in 24 hours, and you're a free man. I don't give a fuck about your war or your president. Welcome to Double Impact, the podcast where we double back on the movies that impacted us growing up as 90s kids and decide whether they hold up today or are best left in the past. I'm Tristan. And I'm Greg. I nearly mispronounced my own name. <laughs> I'm Greg. Wait. Greg. 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 Um, how are you, Tristan? <laughs> I'm all right, Greg. How are you? Good pronunciation. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I'm also good. Uh, it's Friday. I ain't got no job. Can we do I that soon? I ain't got shit to do. I ain't got shit to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, let's do it soon. Uh, so Tristan, another busy week in the world of the pop critic. Kind of. It doesn't look like it. <laughs> well, we're, what we're not One seeing. video went up. <laughs> <laughs> One, seven, no, 11 minutes. 11 minutes. 11 minutes. Yeah. But what did it take to get to those 11 probably minutes? Probably two hours per minute. <laughs> yeah. Actually, probably more, realistically. It looks, it looks um, laborious in a, yeah. in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong choice of words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks intricate. What I meant was it was laborious to watch. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. It was amazing. Oh, uh, yeah. It's a loading curve. But I think I've got a better workflow now and I can do these things more efficiently. And I, Outsourcing? <laughs> yeah. By, by just doing audio only and calling it a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I've got next week's topic. Look, I think doing two videos – a week was maybe a little ambitious uh-huh. for now. So yeah. let's say one video per week. Yeah. Two if we're lucky. You've just halved your output. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then, and this is me not working. I don't know how people do this and work at the same time. They probably don't. I guess so. And and you are on the steepest of learning curves. Like this is the, the it's all pretty fresh. Yeah. So you're going to yeah. learn trips, trips. Tricks, shortcuts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think I dog legs. It, I can do it twice as fast this time. So you can expect a new video by January. Yeah, but I no, it'll come out next week, and I've narrowed in on the topic. Give us a teaser um, around one of a big friend of the show. This this one's going to be about a bit of a deep dive, a brief history of someone we're very fond of on this program. Does it rhyme with Schmilium Schminkter? Sphincter? No, no, but I will do that one too. You'll do the sphincter? sphincter. <laughs> it doesn't really rhyme with sphincter. No, anyway. it doesn't. Uh, okay, but well. So that's coming next week. That's so exciting. interesting. Very yeah. exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I think you had an apology. I did. For something, some out of order business you did last week. I did have an apology. It sent shockwaves through the internet. It did. Last week, during our coverage of Lockstock and Smoking Barrel, Casually credited Iggy Pop with Anarchy in the UK, mm. um, a track obviously famously performed by none other than the Sex Pistols. My comment was out of ignorance, and I've taken it upon myself to apologise now, but more so better understand the punk landscape and indeed the Sex Pistols. Mm. Okay, yep. Did you know? Yeah, the Sex Pistols. Only produced one studio album. Right. Just one. Right. Never mind the bollocks. Here's the Sex Pistols, 1977. Huh. Yeah. So that. Look, I want to thank you for apologising. I know that takes a lot of balls. Yeah. You've shown a real strength of character. Cheers. 
I feel like I should apologize too because I did not know enough to correct you at the time. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But yes. you know, it's when good people stand by and do nothing that you know. I also apologize. Yeah, apologize. Slightly less than Greg, obviously. Apologize. Yeah. So yeah, the Six Pistols, nineteen eighty-one, which is our year of focus. Nineteen eighty-one, they were they were pretty much gone in their original form. So yeah. for nineteen eighty-one, I'll need to talk about something else. Mm. Iggy Pop. Ah. Was also suspiciously quiet in 1981. Oh. <laughs> lots in 80, lots in 82. Probably on some kind of tail ender in 81. Mm. So what else was popular in our conversation last week through the socials this week? Uh, Banana Man really took off. Banana Man really took off. I didn't apologise about that one. Well, no. I'm not certain. Jury's that, still out. The jury's out on there's the There's been some women. evidence yeah, there's a of little, something. There's a loose connection there in Wikipedia that mm. – he sometimes refers to 20 men strength, but sometimes women. I don't know. I'm not sold that I'm not right. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, man's a recount. We can't talk too much more about Eric because he became Banana Man, I think, in like 84 or something. Yeah, yeah. Leave it alone. So, look, I just went hunting for any of those other beloved ABC Arvo cartoons. Yeah, and I'd love to hear from the 30% or 35% now, our American friends of the show. Do you and whether know what they we're know it, any about. of these shows, Banana Man, and it sounds like whatever you're about to mention. Yeah, well, tonight we're going tonight, this afternoon, this morning, we are going to be talking about the one that did come out in 1981, Danger Mouse. Airing from 1981 to 1992 in its original form, created by Cosgrove Hall Films, which consists of Brian Cosgrove and Mark Hall. Now, recounting the show, Danger Mouse was a secret agent, the world's greatest secret agent, spoke 34 languages, mm. could shatter metal with his voice and could perform one-finger uh, one push-ups. Good grief was his catchphrase. He was accompanied by his bumbling, reluctant sidekick, Penfold. Good grief. A hamster. Yeah, okay. Good grief. And Colonel K was his boss. I think it was some kind of walrus or something. Amenity. Yeah, it's all coming back to me. He lived in a, in a mailbox. He should. He, I think he did live in a mailbox. Yeah, and he zoomed out. Yeah, right. He drove down the tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so as I said, it ran for 10 years, um, had a number of BAFTA nominations, and of course the hallmark of any great program, a spin-off. Really? Oh. <sighs> Now, running your head through some of the great spin-offs we've had over time, what comes to mind? Mork and Mindy. Mork and Mindy from Happy Days. Yeah. What else you got? Lavoine and Shoyley from Happy Days. From Happy Days. <laughs> Joni Loves Chachi <laughs> from Happy Days. From Happy Days. Uh, Cheers gave us Frasier. Oh, that's true. Friends gave us Joey. Friends gave us Joey. <laughs> Buffy gave us Angel. Oh, true. CSI gave us... The other CSIs. <laughs> yeah. And David Caruso. Yeah! <laughs> uh, well, Danger Mouse gave us Count Ducula. In the heart of Transylvania, in the Vampire Hall of Fame, yeah, there's not a vampire in the other. He won't fight, he's the man, cause he's a better ah! guy, 
fascinating. That was so. That was probably my main one. That's interesting. Um, I'm not sure at what age because they all kind of blur. But that trapdoor and that one were like massive for me. Stay away from that trapdoor. And Victor and Hugo. Victor and Hugo. Oh, what a year! Mm, Eighty-one. Great year for after-school short cartoons yeah, about eating yeah. vegetables and mm-hmm. dangerous mouses, <laughs> mice. Mm, I think it's the pl- preferred yeah. plural term. Mices. You don't want to be apologising again. Yeah. <laughs> it was a big year for movies also. Was it? It really was. Was it? It's a year we it – actually, it wasn't. <laughs> it's not a big year for movies in my personal yeah, opinion. Yeah, because you know what – so obviously I'm going to go through the top ten because we haven't done it very often. But usually in addition to the top ten I pepper in a few other just interesting ones from yeah. the year and they don't exist. It's a shit year for movies. It's a shit year for movies. The top ten sounds – Okay, like not the worst, but there's not much beyond it. It's, it's no 94. Yeah, it's no 94. It's no like even 84 I think is pretty good and 91. There was some. There's some years that are like, whoa, yeah. what a year. If they'd spread them out more evenly and every year could be a winner, but apparently 81's not. a loser. Because in 81 we did have Raiders of the Lost Ark in number one. Oh, okay. Number two for your eyes only, yeah. the Bond, is it? I, yeah. I love that Bond. Yeah. Superman 2, Stripes. Arthur, is that Dudley Moore? Yeah. An American Werewolf in London, that's supposed to be good. I haven't seen that properly. I know of it. Yeah, but we should cover that. It's famous. Chariots of Fire. Oh, yeah, it's good. <laughs> it sounded like Friday the 13th. Yeah. <laughs> it's Friday the 13th today. Oh, why are we doing Friday the 13th? Oh, because we just did Halloween, so instead we're doing another John Carpenter movie. <laughs> <laughs> Cannonball Runner number 10. But, yeah, usually then there's more interesting ones outside of the top 10. I only wrote down two, well, and this no. may be my ignorance speaking, but I wrote down two. Friday the 13th Part 2 came out, strangely enough, and Heavy Metal, which I only know from the South Park reference when they did that episode. Is that anime? Remember with that one where Kenny kept going into that animation with the boob lady and stuff? Oh, yeah. That was based on Heavy Metal. Oh, and which that's a was, great song. Yeah, which was the same artist that worked on Fifth Element with Luc Besson. And so it's ah. so it's, it's kind of cool, but I don't know much about it. And the boobs. The boobs, boobs. and such. But you know what came in at number 32? Uh, this? Escape from New York. So this movie came out in July of 1981, budget of $6 million, so a little bit more than John Carpenter's last outing that we covered. So he's got a bit more cash, but it's still not a lot of cash, let's be honest. $6 million. No. They're not going to let you destroy New York for $6 million, but we'll get into that. No, just a, for a jail. Yeah, exactly. A gross of $25.2 million. Not a bad return. Look, it got to number 32. I would have. Loved, I wouldn't have been surprised seeing these other ones in there. I wouldn't have been surprised to see it in the top ten, but apparently not. There were twenty movies in between. Yeah, I'm a little surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, critics agree with with our sentiment. There, they gave it eighty six percent. Audiences seventy seven percent. Sounds about right. Another interesting one where the critic scores a bit higher. This will be an interesting one to get into the rewatch yeah. on, but. But we'll save that before we get into that. What about you, Greg? Do you have much of a history with this film? No. Mm. Um, I don't think I've seen this film. My earliest memories of this was 
Posters of Escape from L.A. Yeah. Snake's back, it said. But who the hell is Snake? Why is he back? Where's he been? <laughs> What's with the eye patch? This doesn't look like a Kurt Russell movie at all. <laughs> really? I don't think so. Interesting. That's it, fascinating. He didn't look like a Snake. It was Overboard and Tango. Yeah. That's, hey, Tango or Johnny Cash or whatever the fuck his name was. Yeah, it's... It is fascinating because we'll get more into the rewatch, but in hindsight, I think a similar thing happened to me because I think a lot of what I thought about this movie was actually Escape from LA. Oh, uh, yeah. I was expecting a few different things, but yeah. I, I had Palm seen trees, it. <laughs> warmer climate. <laughs> exactly. Now, Pam Greer, I think she was in that one. Oh, she- but I, I had seen it, but I could barely remember it. Yeah, okay. so it's one of those ones where they kind of all just merged. The yeah. two merged. Yeah. Um, but I've been, snake, I've been snake pit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I've been wanting to watch it for a while now mm-hmm. since this new this new infatuation with John Carpenter. Yeah. So I've been, but I've been saving it for the pod. But yeah, so there's there's not a lot of it wasn't super meaningful to me growing up or anything like that. I think I watched it probably in my twenties, but it maybe my teens. Well, I think potentially what got me into it was the game Metal Gear Solid. Right. Which the main character's name Snake. And it's a straight up ripoff of Snake Plissken. Yeah. It's okay. another character called Plissken. It's a homage. Does he have a, it's a homage. Does he have a eye patch? He does. Does he have snake-inspired leggings and knee-high cow uh, it's mainly boots? It's mainly the voice, the name, and the, uh, the, the head. But he adds a little Rambo... Oh, that's a too. good idea. Keep the hair out of your eyes. So yeah. no, no leggings. Oh, he's more army guy. Okay, it's tactical espionage action. Yeah. Um, and so I think in doing that, I wanted to look. Oh, it was at uni. I think it was. I think I wrote an essay about it. That's what it was because I was talking about yeah. like it was a cultural studies thing. Yeah, intertextual references and things. And how that, about how the a Japanese video game was inspired by a Hollywood movie. Yada 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 yada. Anyway. I must have watched it around then. Maybe I didn't pay a lot of attention. But um, I remember liking it and have been wanting to watch it again in recent years. But nice. that's enough of a, a backstory perhaps. Hey, um, but did you know that Sid Vicious, when he died on February 2nd, <laughs> 1979, overdose of heroin, his mother had bought that for him. Really? <laughs> Is this guy going to pepper these throughout? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be dropping some sex pistol knowledge on your... Greg's... He's overcompensating throughout the episode. Oh, I'm overcompensating in many areas of my life and <laughs> this shall be one of them. <laughs> All right, how about, how about I get into the origin story? Sure thing. Origin story. All right, so this is another one written and directed by, oh, written, directed and composed by, which uh, I want to highlight this time yeah. a little bit more, mm-hmm. John Carpenter. Now, obviously we did Halloween a couple of weeks ago. We've spoken quite a bit about our recent infatuation with this man. Uh-huh. We were going to do this one a little bit later. We're actually we we're going to do Mario Brothers this week, but it's been swept from the internet, it appears. <laughs> <laughs> swept from the, history. The Bob Hoskins estate one. It's stricken from the record. Um, so it's disappeared for now, but we'll do it eventually. So this got bumped up the list and here we are. So we're back in John Carpenter land. And, and what an origin story it is. It's all right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so he actually wrote this back in 1976. Mm-hmm. Which, if you think about the chronology of the, our discussions of Carpenter to date, that's pre-Halloween, but it was post Dark Star, which was his 
big cinematic debut that was a bit of a flop. And from this point he's like, flop star, more like flop star. And he's like, well, maybe I'll be a floppy star. Maybe I'll just write and other people can make my movies. And it was okay. It was 76. It was just after Watergate. Cynicism about the president and the government was at an all-time high. Yeah. So he, he, or so they thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And so he writes this script or, or a version of this script, this movie we watched this week. Um, he initially had Clint Eastwood in mind for it. It was 76 after all. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wrote this thing but nobody wanted to make it. They're like oh. no one wanted to be in the John Carpenter business. So this thing was gathering dust on the shelf essentially. Wow. Um, but then a few things happened. Oh, yeah. Assault on Precinct 13 happened. Oh, yeah. Halloween happened. Uh-huh. And off the back of the success of Halloween in particular, you know, being made for a couple of pennies and making billions of dollars, I'm exaggerating there. Uh, but him and Deborah Hill, big friend of the show, Deborah Hill, uh-huh. um, got signed a two-picture deal with a company called Avco Avco Embassy, who I know very little about, and that's as long, as much as I'm going to mention them. Mm-hmm. The first one they made as part of that deal was The Fog, which I haven't seen, but of course now I am dying to see. Yeah, apparently that's good. Has that got Kurt in it as well? I don't know who's. I know nothing about it. Mm. Yeah. Well, this this is the thing with all these movies now. I'm purposely now not looking at any of them. I want to watch each one with like a. a- Real Pure. fresh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm dying to watch that one. That's not what we're talking about this week though. We're talking about the second one he made as part of that deal, which at first was going to be an adaptation of a book called The Philadelphia Experiment. Uh, but that got canned because they couldn't sort out the script apparently. But then he thought, hey, I wrote this script uh, quite a while back called Escape from New York back in 76. Mm. Let's dust that off. So he takes it off the shelf. <sighs> exactly, does that. He's flicking through it. Looking at his fingers, flipping the pages. Uh-huh. Uh, something's missing. What was it? It needs a bit more spice, a bit of humour, a bit of that New York personality. If you're going to make a movie about New York, you need a bit of uh, attitude in there. Yeah, yo, boy. Yeah, I'm walking here. Uh-huh. So he calls his mate. Dustin Nick. Hoffman. <laughs> yes, yeah, so they get Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> Snake is a, is not a tall man. <laughs> it's compact. <laughs> now he gets his mate Nick Castle. Mm-hmm. Um, who, if you recall, was Ooh. one of his film score mates who actually donned the Shatner mask and, and performed as mm. The Shape or Michael Myers in Halloween, um, you know, walking around, tilting his head once in a while, mm. that kind of thing. Eerily. Eerily. He brought him on to punch it up a bit, give it a bit of spice. Yeah, good. He had written a, a first draft, but he felt it needed a lot of work and uh, asked me if I would come on uh, to help him kind of get his juices move, you know, flowing and, and start thinking creatively about how to take which was a very good idea and make it a solid screenplay. So he brought a lot to this picture. Apparently he did introduce the cabby character himself and the ending so he, and all the little, little jokey jokes in between apparently. So he had a lot to do with the – he was the co-writer essentially I think he's credited as – so yeah, the, the the dream team was being assembled. Certainly, uh, certainly knows who he likes to surround himself with. He's got his people, doesn't yeah. he? There's a lot of that. Well, I mean, even in the cast, which we'll get into. But yeah. um, look, the good news is that you got the gang there. You, you got Castle. You, you got Carpenter. You got Hill. Hill. So um, just on the Hill bit, I'm curious because she's you know she's a producer, but she seems very hands on. 
You're right because sometimes the producer is often when we talk about origin stories and we do all the little researches on origin stories, they're like, that guy was the producer and you move on. But there's always a little Deborah Hill nugget, isn't there? Yeah. And I've got one for you right now. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> um, there was one problem. They got the Dream Team assembled, you know, they've punched it up. The script is singing. The words are jumping off the page. Uh-huh. It's electric. Yeah. One problem. This thing's set in a dystopian New York. But unfortunately, New York was still a functioning city. Still topian. <laughs> it was still topian. Yeah. It was pro-topian. Um, they couldn't afford to shut down the streets of New York and trash them with fires and all that kind of shit. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that neither could the government to make it a prison, but oh, yeah, um, right? that's the premise of the film. <laughs> Let's sacrifice the, the heartbeat of the country. <laughs> um, <laughs> not just New York, also LA 10 years yeah, later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where else can we go? But you know who saved the day? Deborah Hill. Deborah Hill did. Of course she damn did. St. Louis had recently had an urban fire which uh, burnt down most of the waterfront area. And so you would have these huge blocks of of burnt out buildings that just went on forever and ever and ever as far as you could see just buildings burnt to the ground. And so it was really a very sort of a post-apocalyptic look that we wanted for uh, the city of Manhattan. I mean, not not great news for the people of St. Louis, but... Mm. The fact that their city looked like a dystopia. burnt down. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. But great news for Carpenter and the gang. Constraint overcome. Yeah, for them. Hey, so I guess you could say it was a, it's a scrappy, they got it done. It a, yeah. a scrappy origin story. No, a scrappy operation, mm. which is fair to say. And this extends all the way to the special effects. And when I say scrappy, I don't mean shitty. I mean like constraint, innovation, hustle, mm-hmm. getting shit done. Mm. I mean, there's a lot you could talk about with special effects here. I'm not, I won't go in a massive deep dive too much. There's some cool clips and things that I'll put on Instagram of how they did certain things, uh-huh. um, you know, with models, like lots of models in this. So yep. a lot of the Manhattan you see are models. Um, and my my favourite one that blew my mind when I found out, because watching it I was like, fuck, Tron would come out the year after this in 82 and that was like push the envelope in terms of that Aesthetic of the lines. the lines and blue and pink and wireframey type of deals, yeah, that kind of shit. You know how that when he's flying over the city and they're showing the the green wireframes, yeah, and it looks like pretty impressive CGI for the time. Mm. It was a cardboard model of Manhattan that they painted the green lines on, and then replayed that through an old CRT TV and shot that, and it looks like computer generated. Wireframes, love How, it. It's fucking great, isn't it? So great. It's so great, so great. And also, this is eighty one. So, if you recall back to our Terminator episode, this is in the years before uh-huh. James Cameron was kind of his own guy. He was, yeah. Cameron, we he know. was. He was working at a special effects company. He and was on this job. He was on this job. He was doing matte paintings. Was he even Jimmy then? He may have been Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy, get your ass over here. I need a Paint Manhattan on this piece of glass for me. It's basically what happened. Map paintings are fucking great. Hard mm. to talk about on a podcast, but there's heaps of great photos of this shit. A lot of the movies of this era did that. It's kind of yeah, pre-CGI, you'd literally paint this it shit. It was the style at the time. It was the style at the time, absolutely. What about casting? Let's get into casting. Yeah. There's some pretty good pre-casters here. Oh, there is? Not, not in terms of number, oh, but yeah, in terms right. of potency. Yeah, uh, yeah. So the studio wanted Charles Bronson or Tommy Lee Jones. 
Is Clint Eastwood some name mentioned there? Well, Clint Eastwood it was originally written with him in mind. Right. But I think by the time it got made, it's maybe beyond beyond that. Mm-hmm. Studio wanted Charles Bronson or Tommy Lee Jones. They did actually offer it to Tommy Lee Jones. And he said no, I suppose. A carpenter refused to offer it to Charles Bronson, though. Thought he was too old. Yeah, okay. Um, they just whatever. Yeah. But he wanted Kurt Russell. He'd just worked with Kurt Russell on an Elvis movie, a TV movie apparently. Yep. And um, he's like, this is my guy, which interesting you said you didn't think this, this, is, not, this is not a Kurt Russell movie because it wasn't at the time either. Yeah. It's a Disney kid. It's a Disney kid. It's a Disney kid. And so this was a big, a bit like in hindsight looking at Bruce Willis in Die Hard, you're like, yeah, of course. Not so much so at the time. Mm. But in the 81 context, you're plucking out a – Disney kid who recently played Elvis, essentially. This was a big shift for the guy. He had to work in his delts. I would argue he had a better rig going into this than than John McClane did. Yeah, but I got a bit on that later too because even so, it's pretty ordinary. It's a, a fit fit normal guy. He's lean. Ish. Doesn't have abs. Doesn't he? Nah. We'll get into that. <laughs> uh, but we'll talk a little bit more about old Russell. A little bit later in the pod. Um, but to round out cast, just because I'm going to forget the names later, so let's give them their, their proper coverage here. Lee Van Cleef. Oh, yeah. As Bob. He was great. Commissioner. He's a spaghetti western guy apparently. I don't know a lot about him. Mm-hmm. Ernest Borgnine as the cabbie. Mm-hmm. Donald Pleasance is back as the president with an English accent perhaps. Back back as the president. What was he in? No, back. At, well, he wasn't the president last time, but he was the doctor in Halloween. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um, Harry Dean Stanton as the brain. Yep. He's got quite a resume. Yeah, I got a bit on him later because he's one of those guys I don't know a lot about, but I remember when he died and he had a movie had just come out and he was like, this guy is fucking amazing. Yeah. I didn't think he was particularly anything special in this film. No, neither like, did I. Like bad? I didn't think bad, but That's I was. not bad. Yeah. Is that bad that I say that? It's interesting. We'll pick that up yeah, later. Yeah, yeah, Keep going. Um, Keep going. Frank Doubleday as Romoro and Adrian Barber as Maggie with the bad hair. Mm. And Isaac Hayes as Duke. Oh, yeah, I totally missed that. Isaac Hayes, of course. Uh, foolishly left Isaac Hayes off the list there. Of course, Isaac Hayes as the Duke. The Duke himself. With the chandelier Chevy. Mm. How cool is that? <laughs> That was fucking cool. Oh, hilarious. That's mad. Keep going. Okay. So they got these people to film over down to St. Louis Way. Yeah, after the great fires. After the great fires, lit a few more themselves <laughs> and um, a lot of broken glass and such. Turned and, off all um, the lights. Bish bash bosh, you got yourself a movie. Rep party at uh, the Viper Room. Yeah. New York, 1997. The entire city is a walled maximum security prison. The bridges are mined. The rivers are patrolled. And the United States police force has everything under control. I'm going in. John Carpenter's Escape from New York, the high adventure of the future. One man must go in where no man has ever gotten out. John Carpenter's Escape from New York, the greatest escape of them all, is about to blow the future apart. 
not a bad trailer. Not bad. Um, sets, a, sets a mood. It does set a mood. If that's one thing Mr. Carpenter does well, he sets a mood. Mm. But we need, what about specifics, you know? We might need a little bit more, Greg. What oh, I think? can give you a little bit more, yeah, just to put some meat on the bones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so, so, the year is 1997. It's the future. Yeah. Crime rates have skyrocketed and everyone is getting locked up. The government makes the shrewd decision to use the most valuable place in the country, a prison. A dark and dirty free-for-all <laughs> where crazies run the sewers and some guy gets petrol for everyone. <laughs> Coincidentally, Air Force One is hijacked just flying over Manhattan at the prison. But he gets ejected in a little egg shape. Yeah. But he lands in the prison. This is the president. The president gets ejected and lands in the prison. Yeah. And then everyone's like, oh, we got to get him out of here. Yeah. And just at that same time, Sneak Pliskin, who everyone <laughs> thought was dead, yeah. was alive. And he was going to prison for robbing a bank or something. Yeah. Apparently that was originally in the movie. The scenes and they cut it out. It was like, yeah, it's too much. It's too much. Don't need it. So Snake is then recruited by, you know, government to go in there and extract the president in 24 hours. He's got 24 hours. Yeah. They put a microchip in him and they were going to explode his head. Yeah. If he didn't get him out in 24 hours. Yeah. I might pause there. You know, things went down after that. And then they escaped. They escaped. He saved, <laughs> saved the president. The president yeah. was a bit of a battler, as it turned out. Yeah, he was a bit of a buffoon. A buffoon, a yeah, corrupt yeah. buffoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably a love story between Brain and the lady with the big boobs. They went down together. Yeah. She stayed back. Mm. She didn't want to go on without him, without I suppose. Which is kind of sweet. That was a sweet moment. Yeah. Yeah. Giant, giant boobs. Yeah, bad hair. Terrible hair. Now, don't say this just as she's only female in the movie, so I want to trip carefully here and not have the only thing I say about her being a bad hair. But it was bad hair. If there was a man with bad hair, I would say the same thing. <laughs> they all had terrific hair. <laughs> so what, what can I do? The president. He had no hair. Yeah. Yeah. No, so nothing to say there. Um, but how, how was the initial watch? How was the watch? How was the watch? Uh, it was okay. Mm. Um, it was interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't love this movie. Yeah. I think younger Greg wouldn't have understood it. Mm. And I'm not sure I did. <laughs> right. Uh, it's like because, you know, and this isn't a criticism. It's just, you know, a take, my my personal take. Mm. Um, it just seemed like a mashup of genres I couldn't quite get my head around. Right. Because it's got some, um, I spent a lot of time trying to work this out when I was watching it. Mm. It's got some action in there. It's got the sci-fi. It's got the black comedy. It's got the drama. It's kind mm. of a thriller. So I don't know. There's just a lot going on for me. I would think of that as a good thing yeah. generally, usually. Maybe I would too. I mm. don't know. Yeah. I was okay with it. I don't know. It didn't grab me and pull me in. Mm. Interesting. I had, I think I liked it a lot when was more your than last, you. When was your last watch of it? I think it was that? uni. Uni. So, okay. And I... I still liked it a lot, but it was a bit – it took me a while because I was like – I sold it to Ara as, oh, you got to watch this movie with me. It's like batshit crazy, like it's going to be a 
a wild ride man. Mm. I, I don't know where I got that from. <laughs> I think maybe I was thinking more of Escape from L.A., but apparently that's not very good. So I don't know. Maybe I just remembered certain parts that are batshit crazy, but as a total package. Going into this, put it this way, going into this, I was like, how is it that the guy that directed Halloween did this movie? But there was a lot more yeah. in common there than I yeah. thought based on what I remember this movie as being. Like it is quite slow in good ways too. Like it's it's quite slow. I don't think that's necessarily bad, but just slower than I was expecting. So it took me a while to like get in the right yep. gear for it. I think it lost Ara. I think I eventually was like, oh, yeah, no, I'm here now. I'm I'm here. It wasn't what I thought. I'm watching a different movie to what I thought. Yeah. But I do like this movie. So I still liked it. But I'm really curious about Escape from L.A. now because I'm like, is that Zania? Am I – what am I making this – what am I building this perception on? But um, I liked, again, the mood. I think we didn't talk about it as much last time, but um, we mentioned it but we didn't go deep on it. Just the, the fact that this guy – John Carpenter does the music as well. Yeah. It's like that's quite a unique thing because I looked into it. There's not many. There's some that dabble. Like Robert Rodriguez does some music and so in each of his Throws movies a I think in there or two. Yeah, I think he, he contributes but he's not the composer. The score. Yeah. It's one of those things that seems like more directors should be doing this. Well, um, it's, it's an integral part of the mood of the film, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. So the fact that he controls what you're seeing and what you're hearing to such a, a particular degree, mm. he creates this mood. And so, I, again, this that feeling you get when you're watching Halloween, I felt a feeling watching this, not mm. necessarily the same feeling, but there's definitely like a voice there. This voice mm. is coming through and this vibe is mm. coming through. Perhaps a master of mood I wrote in my notes. Is this guy a master of mood, this mm. unique combination of – scoring the movie as well as directing it. Can I add something to that? Yeah. He does, so yes, he has, you know, effectively that's more creative control, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, More holistic vision of what it is. which is great. And he balances that beautifully with giving his cast like a strong level of creative input into their character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like in this role. He seems to not care too much. Yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, go go do your thing, Kurt, because Kurt, Came up with the whole eye patch thing. Yeah, I think he pretty much picked his wardrobe, didn't he? I think so. The guy with the crazy hair came up with the crazy hair. Yeah, he was in the salt on Precinct Thirteen, I think. Yeah, he looks like Steve Buscemi's crazier brother. Yeah, yeah, and um, Harry Dean Stanton, the brain. He, Did he choose he, the next calf? <laughs> perhaps, but he kept he changed the dialogue, and he's like, "Yeah, you can change whatever you want. As long, you don't change the as long as you don't change the plot." Yeah, it's fine. That's that's a lovely How sort of is balance, that? isn't it's, it? Yeah. This so is, yeah, the, this it's, is it's, the the environment I'm creating, but I want you to. Yeah, it's it's a good point because he's so hands on in some areas. Like he's literally he wrote it, mm. co wrote it, directing it. He's making the music. So you think he's a control freak? Right. The same tune, sting the same tune. But he's not such a control freak. He seems to care about it where it matters, and then versus let, let like a Tarantino, to, who is heavily influenced by this guy, right? Mm, yeah. He um. Tarantino's like, oh, uh, do you mind? Do you mind trying it this way? <laughs> Why did I do it like Mike Tyson? I, I don't, don't know. know. That was, that was no, I, yeah, it was there. It was there. Um, yeah, he's quite. He's my understanding, at least from watching some of those interviews on Pulp Fiction. They're like, I had something in mind, but Quentin wanted this, so I did that, and hey, it worked. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm happy to just tell, let him direct me, man. <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, there were a lot of shots of this movie that were really cool. I like the, the interior of the glider, the buttons and things. <laughs> so that shit is cool and the lighting in there. Just, yeah. uh, the overall aesthetic of this thing was just like, you're speaking my language. I love a dystopia, you know. Mm. Um, we were talking about tattoo ideas earlier. I think a cobra rising out of the pants is not a bad one. Yeah, as long as it's wrapped around something, you know, like a belly button or a peen. <laughs> yeah, what what is, what happens below the belt with that one? It was definitely a, it was a, it was a statement piece. It really was. I always have big respect for people that only have one tattoo, but the one that they do have is out there, man. Yeah, I mean, it was a giant cobra on his torso, erecting out of his pants, erecting. <laughs> Like it's like he's, he wears his masculinity on his belly. <laughs> yeah, not yes. in his activewear women's <laughs> clothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, same with uh, Halloween, a nice long opening credits, which I quite enjoy. Oh, yeah? I don't mind that. It, it gives you a chance to like… Settle in. Settle in, switch off whatever you've done before, like mentally. Get the popcorn. As long as you don't pick up the phone in the process of watching the credits. But like it gets, it's a nice buffer of like, okay… Let this, this music wash over me. There was no phones when this was released. That's true. The, there was no internet. Is that why we don't have credits like that anymore? Because of the internet? Yeah, because of phones and such. Because I would be down, especially if you're watching it in a cinema, I'd love to see some long opening credits. Yeah, that's a good question. And we've talked before about animated opening credits, not that these oh. were that, but I'd oh. love, you know, like City Slickers and like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, I think was one. Yeah. That's my jam. More of that. Yeah, I'm up for it. Um, the whole time I watched the movie, I thought it was set in 1988. It was only when I was reading up on it after I realised, oh, no, they started that in 88 but it was set in 97. Because, again, I was like a bit like some of the other movies we've done recently like Time Cop and Demolition Man where they've set it and even Face Off potentially set in 2002. Just these things set just slightly in the future. Slightly. Because the world's going to change so much. But I was wrong, I mean, so I take the one back. Well, it, you know, it's only, what, 16 years. It's, and to it's, be fair, I think crime, short end. crime in the US, I think, did peak in like 88, 90. Like it would make sense that that's the point they make the call. Whether they'll put the prison in Manhattan, uh, you know. Yeah, it feels like a short-sighted. Maybe well, because it's, it's an island, I guess. But still, but I think we're reading too much into that. It's It's got a B-movie type of plot here. It's a bit of fun. Uh, let's talk about Snake Plissken because I thought it was interesting. Again, I think sometimes with these movies I find it hard to put myself in the historical context. Okay. And so I found myself in watching this, you know, being a little judgmental over the physical condition of Kurt Russell in that he's fit, but he's fit like a normal human fit. He's not in the absurd levels of lap pack fit. No. Which makes perfect sense because it's 81 and lap pack didn't really exist yet. Yeah. So okay. in my in my assessment, you know, I don't think we've officially made this call and I don't know if we will officially make it tonight. I feel like we need to really crunch the numbers on this. But You're talking about the origin story of? Yeah, though, when, when does Lat Pack actually kick off? Because The dawn of Lat. The dawn of Lat because Rocky came out in 76, but I would argue that's not, while the franchise became more Lat Pack-ish, Rocky One is not a lap pack movie. No, it's an art house film. Yeah, same goes for First Blood. That came out in eighty two. Even less so. And that was not a lap pack movie, although Rambo Two probably was. Terminator came out. Uh, Conan the Barbarian came out in eighty two also. But I would say that's not mainstream enough to be like. Some of these I think are prototypes. Like mm, the, yeah. the blueprint is being built. Prototypes, good term. Terminator eighty four. 
But I, to me, I think, and I, this is this is a first pass at this. So I think we need to dig deeper on the origins of that pack. But I would say mainstream, big bang, way here, kicking off a trend, I would say First Blood Part 2, Rambo, okay. is probably Dawn of Lap Pack. What do you, what do you which, say? That's 85. 85. So I'd say if that's the thing that kicks off, then you get Commando and then, you, you know, that starts to, that kicks off the whole thing. The whole shebang. The whole shebang. Then it makes sense that in 81, this was, I mean, they wanted, Tommy Lee Jones isn't jacked. So while nope. while through a modern lens of, you know, everyone like Kumal Nanjiani getting jacked for Marvel movies, everyone gets jacked for Marvel movies and everything, this was probably getting pretty jacked, air quotes, at the time. Yeah, getting fit movie. was getting jacked back then. But yeah. this is as jacked as it got, I yeah, guess. Yeah, but now they have different steroids. Yeah, 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 yeah. more advanced on the steroids now. Yeah, because he, he, didn't, he didn't have abs. He had some delts. Yeah. It was all delts. That's all he had. Yeah. He because overall I would say Kurt Russell definitely has a place in the ecosystem of Lap Pack. He's mm. done a few movies. He's yeah, he's on a Ven, he's he's in there somewhere. He's not in the core. No. He's never reached the absurd levels of Latissimus Dorsey um growth. Yeah. But he's in there. He's in the mix. He's a friend of the friend of the pack. Yeah. But then ha- in saying that, in the fact that he's not in the core, he's potentially one of the the founding Fathers, in a way, interesting. In this was a step in that direction. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I would argue. I would argue. Now, as I mentioned, also in my, I think that's some content there for the pop critic to go on. That's definitely something I would like to explore further. When did the lap packs? When are we to make this transition in action movies into absurd muscular vascularity? Mm. Latissimus Dorsey. Oh, that's some strong content. Abby Dabbies. And such. And such. But, yeah, as I mentioned, I think, so, yes, Snake Plissken may have been an early prototype in what became the Lap Pack, also highly influential in the video game world, as I mentioned. Uh-huh. Metal Gear Solid. I talked about most of that already. but one Metal thing I want, Gear Solid. What does that mean? That's a big one. So, it's so Gamer Greg, you ever never come across this? I know of it. It's quite a – It's a big game. They're, they're pretty epic, but they're pretty over-the-top. And stupid a lot, in a lot of ways. They're like these ridiculous storylines. And I don't know what Metal Gear is. There's like Solid Snake and Liquid Snake. And I, I'm forgetting the whole convoluted story now. The gameplay is awesome though. But um, Hideo Kojima is the eccentric genius behind it all. He's kind of like the maybe a, the Stanley Kubrick of video games maybe kind of. What else um, has he done? Well, this has been a lot of it. Oh. He recently did that one, Death Stranding, nope. which was nope. um, a nope. bit of a flop. Ah. It was a bit experimental. Unless it says Red Dead 2 in the front of it. Yeah, there's only one of those, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know about it. <laughs> but massive game, obviously. And he's pretty overtly has made references to this movie. The main character is Snake. Snake's guy that he talks to through the thing is Pliskin. A lot of... Plot points evolve from there, but th- there's there's lots of references throughout. Um, it's an homage. It's yep. got the eye patch, yada 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 yada. It's more of a spy game though. Um, but my point is, it's pretty overt. It's pretty openly a reference to this movie. You could even argue it's ripping off certain elements of this movie. Kojima would say it's a homage. But the yeah, okay. the rights holders to Escape from New York wanted to sue him. Wanted to sue Konami ah, yeah, publisher. Yeah, yeah. And John Carpenter like stopped it 
I was like, nah, he's a good guy. <laughs> How cool is that? Yeah, he's a nice guy. Don't worry about it. Yeah. You know who they did sue though? Lara Croft. Luc Besson. Oh. Yeah. So, oh, because he's a. Well, I'm I'm down nice with this guy. because, yeah, well, we learned about him when we did Fifth Element. We love Fifth Element. Obviously, great movie. But Luc Besson seems like a character that I don't know if I can fully endorse. Fully endorse. I don't think I can endorse him as a character. Um, mm. He made a movie. He produced, I think, a movie in 2012 called Lockout with our guy Pierce, which is escaping from a prison that's in space. Oh, yeah. That's all I know about it. And he, they followed through with that lawsuit and settled out of court. Um, Interesting. But I tell you, Greg, I don't have a repitch for this movie, but I have a repitch for a trilogy. Oh, yeah. Escape from Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> so I was thinking this premise is very interesting, but I don't think they brought it to its logical conclusion. Keep going. It had a lot of places to go. Because in a lot of ways Australia started as the same thing, an island where they send all the prisoners. That's our origins. Yeah. That's our origin story. In many ways. Side in note, some ways. Side note. We sent prisoners there in 1788. No, Doc Week. I don't really want to say it's our origin story. I know. Well, obviously there's other shit involved in Australia's origin story that's, yeah, yeah. So I'm not saying it's it's a. Our ancestors. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah, but it's not a, I'm not saying it's a delightful, fun romp of no. the origin of Australia. But it was in 1788 that we first sent prisoners to Australia. Mm-hmm. And this was 1988 when they did it in this. I wonder if that's a reference. I don't know. Probably not. Mm. But anyway, my my point in all of this is that I think there's a lot that you could do with this premise that they did barely scratch the surface on. Yeah. Which is what happens if you do this. How might it evolve? Australia's evolved significantly, for better or worse. Good things happened, bad. A lot of bad things happened. But how would something like this, this self-contained ecosystem evolve, closed off from the rest of the world? It's an interesting premise, is it not? Yeah. Something that could unfold across the trilogy. I think they had a touch of this. What does it look like in the year 2000? Exactly. Well, that's only three years. <laughs> 2020. Yeah, exactly. So I think they touched on this a little bit with the role of the brain, which is my understanding his, his role was to make things a bit, a bit of infrastructure around the yeah, city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which makes sense. So these, these roles would naturally start to emerge. The Duke emerges, the brain emerges. Like there's a society forming here. Maybe still it's in its early stages and it's not as pretty as some of the societies we, well, as we like to think our society is, but something's evolving here. Something that needs more space than one movie to bring to its logical conclusion. So Mm. I would say I'd love to see a trilogy where this island of convicts evolves, creates a society, and eventually fights for independence. Ah. So Escape from New York 1 is this movie. Yeah. That makes sense. Tick, done, accomplished. That happened. Escape from New York 2, this is my pitch for Escape from New York 2. Let's say it's set 20 years later. The deal is the consequences of the power vacuum left behind from the Duke being gone yep. have been ugly on the... Uh, oh, people fighting for that the, role? Yeah, yeah. It's so created a lot of is? destabilization, and it, it makes one wonder maybe the Duke wasn't so bad after all. Now, who cares, of course? It's a prison colony. Who cares? That's none of our business. Better the devil you know. Yeah. But also, what does the rest of the world care? Like, that's that's their problem. Who cares? It's a prison. 
but they're evolving. It's 20 years later. They have means with which to perhaps cause some damage on the outside world. And so to sort of uh, try and diffuse the situation, they send in Snake Plissken 20 years later to to infiltrate uh, the new powers that be Uh in New York and try and kind of uh, bring it down a little bit. Uh, simmer down, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's out there. A bit, it's pretty upset. Simmer down, wouldn't you mind? Mm. You could have Reese Darby play him. <laughs> 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 They're worried sick out there. <laughs> no, they've got things to worry about. They don't need this. A couple of jesters in the court and the king. <laughs> um, so anyway, Snake goes in undercover well, not really out of cover. Snake goes in as a prisoner again. Out of cover. Out of cover, trying to sort of, yeah, dismantle this this evil power, this axis of evil that is formed within the prison that is Manhattan. But upon doing so, yes. a little bit Fern Gully, a little bit Avatar, a little bit Dances with Wolves, he starts to see where they're coming from. Um. He starts to sympathise. He starts to actually see the full story of what the Duke was doing prior as well and is like, fuck, maybe he wasn't such a bad guy. There was something forming here. Yes, maybe he was a little too uh, uh, Machiavellian or whatever, but okay, he got results, damn it. Last Samurai. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, maybe he starts to see things their way and maybe us, the viewer, also start to see the flaws in the outside society and the strengths of what happens within the more libertarian, I suppose, world of, of this uh, prison. Yeah. So I guess the, the crux of this movie is is Snake becoming part of New York. He kind of takes over and not takes over, a bit like... He's the new Duke. I can't, a little bit. So I look at this as a bit like he's Caesar in Rise of the Planet of the Apes or you know, I see this trilogy being very similar to those... Like Michael Corleone? Maybe. <laughs> but Planet of the Apes, you know how like it evolves pretty significantly over the three movies. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> haven't you watched those? They're good. Uh, probably. Yeah. Um, so I see this, the first one is Escape from New York. The second one is Snake goes back into New York and starts to see where they're coming from, blah, 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 blah. And the third one I haven't quite figured out yet, but I feel like maybe there's some kind of precious resource <laughs> that can only be... Maybe it's underground in in um, in Manhattan. Vibranium. Yeah, <laughs> unobtainium. Um, oh, nice. That's from Avatar. Oh. <laughs> so the government wants back in. So it's basically you know gentrification. Yeah. Trying to kick yeah. these people out. So they, oh. so that can be the third one. Classic. Um, but then you know a little bit of a civil war type of thing, and then they gain their independence. Yeah, there has to be someone doing some double crossing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There'll be some double crossing. Um, probably some triple crossing. Yeah, probably triple crossing. Yeah, etc. So the third one, I don't totally know how that goes. But the overall arc would be um, actually New York was right, independence of New York ensues. I like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're funded. Yeah. You've you got funded. yourself a goddamn deal. <laughs> Six milli. Get your people together. Yeah, all right. Get Debbie on the case. <laughs> hey, we talked a bit about Kurt Russell and how this was a bit of a rebrand. So, and we talked about how he was a Disney guy. Had you heard the story? Now I'm going to say this and I'm going to clarify it, but the story was that Walt Disney's last words were Kurt Russell. Yeah, I read that on Wiki. What did that mean? So it's not exactly true. It felt a bit. He, Kurt Russell had just signed a 10-year deal with Disney at the age of 15 
and he was kind of their guy. He was like the he was being predicted as being their biggest star, which he ended up being essentially. So he was fifteen. And um, what about Mickey Mouse? Uh, yeah, you know he's going through the awkward stages, yeah. the yeah. lull. The, Voice was dropping. Like yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, that what happened was Walt Disney died. And on his desk, one of the last things he had written was his name, Kurt Russell's name. So he must have been thinking about him for a specific role or something. But it was top of mind when he died. It's interesting. You right? You had a stroke? Rosebud. <laughs> Wait, what? You couldn't, it took me a while to remember the word rosebud. Why rosebud? It's the last words of the Orson Welles, um, it's that very famous movie, Citizen Kane. I never saw that. You saw Citizen Kane? Of course. Oh, nice. So you take me for some kind of heathen? You know, uh, what's his name? Friend of the show, Ebert. Roger. He wrote, it's all an elaborate hoax. Oh, he said it. I think that was his last words. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Hey, um, I like that there was a guy in this called Bob Hulk. <laughs> like Bob Hawk. Bob Hulk. <laughs> H-A-U-K. For non-Australians, it sounds very similar to one of our greatest uh, prime ministers. Bob Hawk. Yeah. Hawk. So I love that there's a Bob Hawk in this movie. In fact, for recasties, I feel like a 1980s Bob Hawk would have made a great Snake Plissken. <laughs> yeah. He had the hair. Did he? He had a bit of a bouffant. Yeah. Stick an eye patch on him. He had the tattoo. He wouldn't have even <laughs> needed to. He had the tat. <laughs> he wouldn't have even needed to shoot anyone. He would have brokered an increase in the average annual wage for the crazies. Yeah. Uh, in, See, this in, is what I mean. For so a peaceful extraction for the president. Exactly. King of, king of the negotiation, our Bob was. And then society starts to. With unions. Yeah. So maybe the remake mm. that you've described is the perfect platform. For dead Bob Hawk. For dead younger Bob Hawk. <laughs> what do you think of that? Yeah, yeah, that could work. That could work. He would have been good. But other presidents probably didn't come across so well. Call him a parallel. We've yeah. got a president here who's portrayed as corrupt and dim-witted, builds a wall. Oh, yeah. Um, For bad hombres. Yeah. Yeah. Coincidence? I guess so, but yeah. <laughs> Definitely was. <laughs> Definitely was. But, yeah, it is interesting. And a lot of people I know in New York have left New York until <laughs> mm. everything blows over. Yeah. Um. Like every, literally everything blows over, like COVID and post-election dramas and whatnot. So, yeah, it is, it is interesting. Well, they say these things happen in cycles too, right? So They do. They certainly do. Um, the other thing is that Sid's real name was John Simon Ritchie. Is Sid, Sid? Sid Vicious of oh. the Sex Pistols. Oh, okay, we're back here, are we? Yeah. And their original name was The Strand. Okay. Um... You know, they're not. They weren't originally called the Sex Pistols. They were called the Strand. Yeah, right. Anyway, what else you got? I would love if one of your trivia points on the Sex Pistols is wrong, and you have to apologise next week <laughs> and do a whole like, other. Uh, list. Actually, that was Iggy Pop. <laughs> Iggy Pop's name was the Strand. <laughs> I did like the the costumes. It felt like they all were led to that vaudeville cinema when they got on set, and they're like, "Hey guys, this has been badly burned, but there is a." Full costume wardrobe back there. I want everyone to go back 
and just pull out a funny outfit and we're going to shoot this movie today. Yeah. Like why did he have a neck scarf? Why did the brain have a neck scarf? Because it's an intellectual, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's costume was hilarious. And like yeah. the Duke's car with the chandeliers. That was fucking mad. Like it was so, so cool. But I think it's those images I had in my head that made me think this is going to be so crazy. It was less crazy than I thought. So yeah. while those are crazy. It was subtle. I, it, didn't, it didn't like. Subtle craziness. It didn't make me go, what? Yeah. Did you, feel, I don't know, did you ever, did this remind you of what maybe Waterworld was pitching for? in some Yeah, 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 definitely. Because it's, I was thinking. Is that a big um, influence? I'd say so. Well, Mad Max too. When was when was the first Mad Max? Like 80, 79 or something. Yeah, like so I was thinking this is like Mad Max crossed with, fuck, what was it? Warriors? Had Warriors vibes. Yeah, Warriors. Yeah, it's a similar vibe, right? Yeah. Um. So Road Warrior and Warriors. <laughs> yeah, lots of warrioring. Yeah. Oh, hey, how about a little um, little bit of trivia here? Oh, yeah? Is it Sex Pistols or Iggy Pop related? Um, neither, funnily enough. Sexy Pop. Yeah, so kind of the computer VO at the beginning, you know, saying such lines as you can be euthanized and Yes, oh, this is good trivia. It's uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. None other than. Yeah. Obviously, again, surrounding himself with his. With his parsi. Friends of the carpenter. Parsi. Carpenter pack. <laughs> Could put more thought into Working that title. <laughs> Look, we'll do, why don't we just quickly talk about Harry Dean Stanton because he's an interesting dude. Yeah. You know, the, the phrase character actor is associated with him quite strongly. He doesn't necessarily see himself that way. He thinks that's a stupid phrase. But he's been in a hell of a lot of movies. He has a lot of great movies. Yeah. And he just didn't seem to have much interest in being a leading man. He's in Alien, Godfather 2, Repo Man, Red Dawn, Wild at Heart, Twin Peaks, Green Mile, Fear and Loathing, Las Vegas, Good Friends with David Lynch. Um, yeah, he died a few years ago. This interview I found it was well, not specifically about this movie. He does refer to Carpenter and off the back of this movie opportunities that he declined, but it's just he's just an interesting dude. Yeah, and this kind of captures perhaps how interesting he is. <laughs> Described as one of the great character actors. That's the phrase that they use. This bullshit. Every, every actor is a character actor. I had a chance. This is just a couple of years before. He- a whole career, I could have been a leading man, much more famous, much richer, and with more pussy than I, on screen and off than I've <laughs> ever had. Those are the words they used. John Carpenter, his people, used that phrase. <laughs> they offered me a series yeah. playing a private investigator. And uh, that would have led, of course, to me being a leading man. But you didn't want it? I didn't. Too much work. <laughs> but why is it that, you know, we could pull in a guy off the street and put a camera on him and people would fall asleep after a while paying attention? They're just not, not particularly interesting. No, no, that's wrong. You disagree? Anybody can be an actor. A film, anybody here, everybody in this room, everywhere, can be a film actor if you've got a good director. Just tell them to be themselves and... Uh, and they'll be brilliant. And you don't need any experience to be a film actor. So that was just a couple of years before he passed away. But it, what a, it just seems like a cool dude. Yeah. <laughs> like not really interested in all the money and the pussy. <laughs> as eating his words. Yeah. Well, apparently Carpenter's words. Are. Yeah, his words by Carpenter. <laughs> 
Fascinating too. I don't know a lot about him. I, I want to learn more about him. He's in heaps of other movies, so I'm sure we'll mm. let's talk about him again. But he sings as well. It is, yeah, interesting fella. Yeah. Another good little discovery, discovery for me for yep. personally. Um, should we get into the verdict? Yeah, let's get into the verdict. I don't know what to say, really. I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. I am the law. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. I want to have them answered immediately. You can't handle the truth. What are you waiting for? Ah! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. Nothing further. Your Honor. And that's all I have to say about that. Um, my overall thought on this one—I didn't have like a long-winded one. I just I thought it was pretty good. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I think it, in the beginning. I was like, oh, is this one of those ones that I like the idea of more than I enjoy watching it? But then once I adjusted to the right headspace, I liked it a lot more. So I still I still do like it a lot. But I can understand if, if you didn't feel the same way. Yeah, I didn't like it a lot. Mm. Um, I wasn't bored. I didn't want to turn it off by any means. Um, yeah. But, you know, we watched Halloween two weeks ago. Yeah, so yeah, the, yeah. The, I didn't do, it didn't do for me what Halloween did. Yeah. Um, I can make a comparison. Yeah. But, um, you know, like yeah, it's okay. Like I, I, could, I could see why this movie would be have a place in people's hearts. Yeah. It's pretty different to a lot of the other sort of action films or whatever Especially it is. Especially the time, right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I respect it. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Like Sting. Yeah. And now I'm just genuinely curious about Escape from L.A. now. Yeah. I'm enjoying this uh, little uh, carpenter journey we're on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. Fascinating. Um, all right, did Simpsons do it? Undetermined, but there is an episode called Escape from New Springfield. Yeah. I don't know if that's just a pun or if that's Well, the escape from Escape from New York is a highly used, it seems, episode descriptor for New New York based sitcoms. Oh uh, yeah. So like Sex in the City has Escape from New York episode. Mad ah. About You has an Escape from New York episode. Right. All the classics have one. Well, so I guess The Simpsons is no exception. Yeah. Now, while they didn't seem to have a specific clip or scene that references that I was able to find, friends of the show, if you found one, please do share. I did, of course, want to share an iconic scene with <laughs> Ernest Borgnine because I was like, I oh, know, from I, um, Happy Campers, yeah, because that that was my introduction to him. I don't know him from much else, to be yeah. honest. And so I was like, I'm pretty sure that's the same guy. It 100% it is. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's one of my favourite episodes of all yeah, time. It's one of the classic ones. It's mm-hmm. like the, in that same season as Homer Loves Me. Yeah, it's those the episode ones. before or Yeah, after. I, I recorded like, both of them, I think, on VHS oh, for some reason. Mind-blowing. Now this clip is pretty great. John, there's something I was going to give you at the end of this trip, but since we may not survive, I want you to have it now. <gasps> A real Swiss Army knife. Cool. I stole it from that Borg Nine guy. <laughs> Don't worry, kids. I'll take care of him with my trusty. Uh. Uh. Um. Uh. Hmm. What a random choice to have Borg Nine in this. Was he in like a scout movie or something? Is there a reason that he this was. Must be a reference. Yeah, it must be. Anyway, porn parody, not that I could find. I didn't look today. Yeah. Uh. Bechdel test, certainly not. 
FX test, I would give a hard yes. And explosions, Molotov cocktails, Greg. Oh, my favourite. Yeah. <laughs> so they were in there. Out of By, the ca- from Bergnine. Out of Bergnine. Bergnine. <laughs> right out of the cab there. He yeah. saved him from the crazies. These things are like gold over here. He could have, look, like he could have driven away in the time that he reached over and lit that. Yeah, cool. <laughs> exactly. Wouldn't have had the same impact. <laughs> um, recasties? So I was, ah, oh, it's annoying. Do you ever find a recasty, like a legitimate one that's actually been spruiked? Oh, and, and then it kind of undoes you a little bit for your hunt. Oh, I haven't come across those. I came what across one, yeah. a snake, and I really liked it, and then I kind of stopped looking. Who was it? Uh, Josh Brolin. Oh, he's too old now. Don't be an ageist. I, I can see why they would do that, but I don't love that. Uh, I don't know why. Not that mine are better. I got two. So if this was early 90s instead of early 80s, I'd give a Swayze. Oh, and Sam Elliott as the police commissioner, basically the, the <laughs> cast of Roadhouse, <laughs> this movie. Um, nice. But I thought if it was current version and uh, let's say five years ago because it's not as good now. Let's say five years ago you get, you're taking an ex-Disney kid who wants to change up their perhaps pretty boy image. Nice, yes. Squeaky clean. Zac Efron five years ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, could be a good one. Yeah. Mm, not bad. Uh, but other mm, than that, I didn't really mm, have. Mm, Zach <laughs> I heard he's in Adelaide now. No, Perth. Oh, has he left Byron, has he? I don't need to see these updates. Also, it makes Australia look lame. Chasing Zach Efron. Yeah, Zach Efron's in Australia. And so you always see these updates on the news of where Zach Efron is. A, leave the guy alone. B, you're making us look lame. 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 Got to play it cool so Zach stays here. Yeah. MVP? Uh, I don't have one. Yeah, I don't think I have one either. I guess Kurt Russell. Yeah, I didn't even rate him that highly. Really? I think you, this needs to settle in a little bit. You need to watch it again eventually. Yeah, maybe. I did have Carol in my ear telling me it was shit. Oh, uh, no. It doesn't always help. Oh, but sometimes they'll make you defend it though. Yeah. I do that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it like, makes me like it more because like, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, Actually, maybe that's what happened to me this time. Um, what are we doing next week? I don't even know. I have no idea. Is it Scarface? Maybe. Scarface with a special guest? Is that next week? All right, so next week we're doing Scarface with special guest for the Australian listeners from Gogglebox. Matty Fard will be joining us in the studio. In the studio. We've got a few other guests coming up soon, but we're not telling you who they are, but some fucking spicy ones and we're very excited. Ooh-wee. Like of all shapes and sizes, some all corners of the world. Yeah. Some from the world of music, from the world of podcast, from the world of martial arts, they will all be joining us um, in the coming months, oh. maybe even weeks. How exciting. Um, yeah. We're about to text Frank Dukes after this podcast. Oh, my goodness. For real. Hey, the Frank Dukes. Is this Frank Dukes? Like, put up your Dukes. So I'm going to text him and say, "Are you Jackson? You look like a Jackson. Aren't you a little old for video games? <laughs> it's pretty exciting. It's fucking exciting. I'm nervous. I'm putting his number in my phone, even if I never call him. Yeah, just so it's like, yeah, I got Frank Dukes' number in my phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. See you next week. Bye.